Well, it's 2020. Yep, you can't forget it. And on 2020, uh, one of the sa- one of the saving graces of this particular year has been that it's been a quite a good game uh, year for video games. Uh, this is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni. Thank you so much for joining us for our very first game of the year edition podcast uh, with of Mainstream. Uh, joining me on this particular episode is Adam Christou. Hello, hi, Daniel Lang. Hey, what's up, everybody? Mitchell Lowe. Hello. And I'm here under protest. <laughs> and Fiona Bartholomeus. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about some of the best games that we have played this year. Uh, now, it doesn't mean uh, that they happen to be, I don't know, we'll basically decide the criteria and you'll hear a little bit about why we've picked the games that we've chosen. Um, and we'd love to hear from you if you've got some suggestions of a game that you think is the best game that came out in 2020 and we missed it completely. We totally totally beefed it, uh, then let us know. Um, But without any further ado, let's jump in. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. So I am going to kick it off this time around. Uh, So I'll tell you a little bit about the game that I played that I thought was the game of the year. Maybe I think one we will actually think about for a long time down the track. And that game is Umarangi Generation, which is developed by Tali Faulkner. Uh, It is a first-person shooter, um, but you don't shoot people with bullets. You shoot pictures uh, with a camera. It's a realistic camera game uh, set in a cyberpunk world, uh, designed uh, for around a lot of Maori symbolism. It's set in New Zealand. It's about the end of the world, and it's about the people who kind of live in that world. And it's really, really interesting the way that the storytelling has been, and it actually feels like it is the perfect game for 2020 for me um, because it is a game that really talks about uh, and that feeling of what it's like when you feel like everything is falling down around you, but you still got to get on with your life. Um, it's If you haven't ever played it before, it's really my recommendation for you. It's just come out... Um, I think a, a, an expansion has just come out uh, called Macro, uh, so there's even more to enjoy, and it's just about to come out on the Nintendo Switch as well. Um, but for, for for I guess that's the part of the reason why I really really enjoyed it. I feel like within the context of the year, Umaragi Generation, in the you know, with having the the specter of Cyberpunk 2077 uh, coming out as the big Cyberpunk game, I really think this is the game uh, that people will think about for years to come as the best cyberpunk game from, from for many, many years and definitely something of 2020. Yeah, I'm really happy you picked this game. And it's it's my runner-up, so it's not my game of the year, but I think it's very much close up there. And you, you're right, it is it is a really fascinating cyberpunk game. But I think what I think about with this game when I when I played it was was I went back to Gone Home. It feels like one of those games that is going to really set the stage for how a lot of people approach environmental storytelling over the next five to 10 years and when they create games and spaces. Because what is so fascinating about Umurungi Generation storytelling is unlike Go Home, uh, Gone Home, which has a narrative that it's telling, it's using voiceover work, there is no real kind of underpinning like voice lines in this. There's no real dialogue. It is kind of the environment itself and you piecing together the story as you kind of explore it and take photos. 
And there's something about the way that this game plays with story and jops you into kind of really exciting moments towards the end of the game as well that really worked for me. It it felt unique and it played to all of the strengths of this game, as janky as it can be sometimes when you're trying to jump onto weird um, geometry to take strange photos. Um, it was It was something really special and unlike anything else. I think also it, it doesn't hurt that it's got a kick and soundtrack, um, that it's stylish as hell. Um, it's got so much uh, Australian and New Zealand content in it. There's stuff in there that you would pick up if, if you're an Australian player or someone from New Zealand uh, that you wouldn't see uh, in other games that we often don't see in a lot of games. Um, and it was actually, uh, we, we, we did a really good uh, episode of the the podcast. Uh, you can tune uh, into our Pixels of Podcast to have a listen to that conversation. But it's actually written uh, around those uh, catastrophic bushfires that actually st- started 2024 Australia. It was those big fires that happened through January, almost all the way through to March. March, uh, where big part of the country was on fire for a really long time. And a lot of people were wondering, can we rely on the institutions and the systems that we've got around us to look after us? Uh, and it was really just the prelude to whatever the rest of 2020 uh, had to deliver. Um, so yeah, that's that's my 2020 pick, Omurangi Generation. Check it out. It is for the money, one of the best experiences you're going to have. Um, it actually has really, it's just fun to take photos in that game and play with all the filters um, and just explore a story that we don't often hear uh, in uh, in video games that often. Uh, Gianni, did you have a favorite moment or mechanic in the game? Yeah, I really liked, um, I guess, some of the setting up good photos that weren't reliant on the photo bounties in the game. So the game itself has a number of things you have to do to progress through to the next stage. But just picking moody shots or something interesting, and the best thing about this particular thing is that you get all the photos at the end. Once you've taken them all, they are on your hard drive, so you can actually put them on social media and go from there. So that was really, really good. And kind of playing with depth of field, playing with zoom, um, playing with sort of uh, different filters and effects uh, to create like a really amazing sort of felt like a bespoke photo. I'm sure everyone's taken the same photo from the same position as I have. Um, but it really felt like it was unique to me and something that I have uh, haven't seen before. That's what I like. I like the idea of games actually capitalizing on the unique experience that everyone has in them, because like a lot of the time we feel like oh we're playing the same thing over and over. But every time we load something up, it is a different experience every single time because games have become so comprehensive and and varied, even like in their own individual experiences. It's a it's good to see a game that capitalizes on that, celebrates it. And having photos as well, like you were saying, being able to sit there and figure out which angle works best for you, it's a lot of fun because the, another game's a little bit similar with the photos that, that came out this year was Hollow Vista, and it felt super personal being able to go, oh, this is the angle I want. So I really like how different it is in storytelling, and it's really, in a way, uh, a picture tells 100 words or a 1,000 words. So that's uh, Umurangi Generation available on uh, computer at the moment, uh, coming to Switch very, very soon and consoles as well, I think. Um, but you can also check out the DLC, uh, which is, adds a whole bunch of stuff, including uh, a rollerblade mode uh, inspired by Jet Set Radio Future, uh, which is available right now on PC. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixelsift. Adam, you've played probably more games than anyone else I know. What is the one that's going to be your crowning game for 2020? Oh, that that's such a beautiful compliment you've given me there. <laughs> uh, I, he I, says I, with a lot of jealousy that, of course. 
I, I really kind of struggled at first to kind of nail down what I wanted it to be. I knew that games like Umurungi Generation, which we just spoke about, were going to be high up there on my list for me. But I guess the game that I went with was one that I had a lot of fun with and spent many, many hours in it. And I'm still thinking about now, even though I've kind of dropped off on it just a tiny bit because other games came along. And that, for me, is Hades, um, the latest game from Supergiant Games. It's been in early access for a couple of years and was on the Epic Game Store, but moved to Steam a little bit earlier this year and finally got its 1.0 release and a Switch release, uh, kind of probably like midway through this year. And it it is a really fantastic roguelike game um, that draws on the fun of repeat runs and dungeon crawling that roguelikes do really well with the really tight and solid uh, combat mechanics that Supergiant Games are really known for, for games like Bastion, uh, which just played so well. And then it's the really unique storytelling that Supergiant Games is also really well known for that kind of takes over. And before you know it, this is a roguelike game that you are playing that essentially is also a visual novel. And I think what it really does is it rewards people who don't like that feeling of failure or of everything being reset at the end of a run because whenever you die in Hades you go back to the main story hub of this game and get to talk with characters you get to progress the story something always happens or, or you might be able to unlock some new ability that you'll be able to use in future runs so it feels like every single failure or success in this game is always rewarded no matter what happens. You're going to get something fascinating and great going along. And then also, you know, the fact that the combat is so brilliant. The music in this game is just really impeccable. Uh, the voice acting is solid. The writing is really great. I mean, it's set in ancient Greece and it uses the Greek pantheon, um, which I think is kind of a little bit of a trope that we've seen in quite a few games over the years and just in media in general. But with these well-realized gods that we have kind of you know, ideas of already, like the God of War, Ares, for example, seeing the way that Supergiant kind of breathes fresh light into these characters gives them really interesting personal um, relationships to other gods and characters as well, as well as the main character in this game is is really great. I mean, I, I don't really have a single negative thing to say about this game. It all works really well. I dumped almost 90 hours into it. Um, and I think I had my first successful run after my 28th attempt. And then I've hit a point in the game where I'm increasing the difficulty quite a lot, but I'm still winning almost every run. And it feels like it's met me in a really nice way. I think roguelikes have this frustrating thing where you're meant to keep playing until eventually you hit over that bump and you just start intuitively understanding what the game wants for you to do and you can start winning all the time. But Hades kind of smooths that out by giving you something to strive for or something to enjoy between all those moments of struggling through difficult combat. It's it's a genius game. There's nothing else like it. And I feel like any roguelike that comes out now really needs to look at what they did here with storytelling and really step their game up. You mentioned something right at the very beginning when you explained the game about it sort of relating in some way to a visual novel. And that's not something I really think about when it comes to rogue games. Could you explain on that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, like, so you play Prince Zagreus, the Lord of the Underworld. He is um, the son of Hades, and he does not like living in hell. He does not enjoy his life there. Um, the version of the Underworld- so he's a teenager. That, no, 
I'd say 20s, like despondent <laughs> early 20s fail son is the better way to describe it. <laughs> Hades, Papa Hades basically is like Lord of the Admin of the Underworld and really enjoys his paperwork and filing away reports on who's died and where they're going in the afterlife. And it's just not the life for Zagreus who kind of wants to hang out with mates and have beers and who knows what. But you get this you get this nice energy from this son who has clearly failed, has a really troubling relationship with his father and his family. And it's his desire to escape his home that is really the carrot on the stick here. And then it's his other family members and friends and lovers uh, that you kind of relate with in this world. So there is um, the first mini boss in this game is actually an ex-lover of yours, Megera. Um, and she kind of treats fighting you in this game as like her job because she is security in the underworld. And whenever you beat her, it's kind of like you're showing up your ex-girlfriend in front of your dad, who's their boss. And there's (laughs) this great, wonderful dynamic between them that makes kind of coming across her in every run, having conversations with her before the boss fight begins, feel really satisfying. And then if you beat her or you lose to her, going back to town and having more conversations with her, even more engrossing. And you can spend the time to get to know her better and really build that relationship out. And then there are maybe 30 characters in this game that all have moments like that and that really grow in depth over the dozens of hours that you spend with them. It's it's really remarkable. There's romances in this game. My Zagreus is dating uh, the god of death. So, hooray, if you want to do that, get on board. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's really remarkable. It's got like We've that sort of narrative it. flow. We've all thought about it. Um, what, it. What I think is interesting, Adam, is that uh, the game itself doesn't let you progress the storyline, though, until you failed. You actually cannot do it until you've failed a number of times, and you need to do multiple runs to get that storyline in it. And this, that story, which is so rich, is totally the reward uh, for coming back to your main hub world and everyone sort of gives you a bit of like a oh, sheepishly Zagreus sort of drags himself back through. Hello, Zagreus, you didn't make it out again. Um, and that's kind of the funniest thing about this game. And, and you know, when you are uh, exploring this world, it really feels rich. And I think there are moments that actually do stop you as well. Um, I remember one in one of the worlds, one of the levels of, of, of the world is when you come across a, a singing, beautiful singing voice inside this world of despair and destruction and, and sort of feels like evil and, and pain. And you come across this like really divine moment uh, where you hear Eurydice um, singing. Uh, and it, it really did stop me. I thought it was just an amazing sort of thing. And it's just that game of, of contrast that's really what makes it such a, a powerful game. And I know you mentioned at the top that it felt like it came out uh, at the beginning of the year. It actually only came out in September, so I guess that probably wow, says a lot. time uh, into it. Yes. <laughs> it says a lot about 2020. Um, it does, doesn't it? Any, any final words on Hades? What, what, anything that people should come into this game if they're, if they're thinking about it? This game is really fun, and I think the best part about it is it's accessible. If you struggle with roguelikes, this is the roguelike for you because it's not a mode that I tried with this, but there is a thing called God Mode in this game, which is a great pun because you're all gods. Of, um, of Greek mythology. But if you turn it on, essentially what it does is it starts giving you a stacking buff every time you fail and die in this game that increases your health and your damage. So eventually that buff will kind of pile up to the point that like 
it will meet you at your skill level and allow you to progress with the story and have successful runs. So if you're the sort of person that really struggles with high difficulty action games or roguelike games and you bounce off because the difficulty is frustrating, know that there is a really satisfying mode in this game that gives you the feeling of being able to enjoy the full experience of Hades with nothing taken away and really fall into the story as well. And you'll have to really push yourself to beat the bosses even with this mode on. Um, but it just gives you that extra leg up. And I think that's such a great thing that more games need to do is come up with creative difficulty modes that really meet players halfway and, and give them the experience of the full story without turning it on a story mode where everything dies in one hit. Um, yeah, it's accessible. It's really fun. Um, it's got a great sense of humor. It's got characters I'm going to think about for years. And it gave me 90 plus hours of replayability. It's yeah, game of the year for me by a mile. So that's Hades by Supergiant Games uh, on the Switch, uh, on Windows as well. Uh, you can pick it up, you can play it, have as much time with it as you want to. Uh, one of our recommendations for 2020. You're listening to Mainstream by Pixelsift. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. Daniel, you've been playing games in 2020. You've picked out something uh, for your pick. Uh, tell us about the best game for you uh, in 2020. So for me, my game, uh, we actually played this earlier in the year, and that is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Uh, I played it with Mitch, and I'd heard a lot about Ori and the Blind Forest going into it, but I'd never played it. And after that Pixels of Plays, uh, I went back home and I, I got Ori and the Blind Forest, went through it, and uh, went back to play Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And I'm honestly really glad that I did just because it made me appreciate what the sequel was able to achieve uh, since uh, the first game. And the thing that I really like about it is just, well, mainly the art style, first of all. Um, I believe in the second game, they went back and redid a whole bunch of stuff and added 3D uh, as layering effects rather than 2D, which the first game relied on. Um, but apart from that, Ori in the second game like the character is just so much more agile. The controls feel so much better and putting a whole bunch of different skill points into stats and upgrading your weapons and being able to actually choose a loadout for you uh, really made a lot of sense just because in the first game you were only limited to about maybe one or two different attacks. And in this one, they really go into it where you can have a bow and arrow, you can have a spear or like a giant club and really tailor it to your heart's content, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, the soundtrack too continues to be really amazing and Ori's an emotional game, first of all. The the story has a lot of meaning into it and even though there's no dialogue per se, you can still understand everything that's going on and I think to be able to achieve that is uh, quite a remarkable feat. Yeah, I really like the, uh, there's no, there is no dialogue. In fact, I don't think there's any, there's, there's not even any written dialogue, is there? It's been a while since I ran the game, but um. To my knowledge, uh, I don't believe there is. I think there might be uh, just kind of like, I don't know, weird ad libs and stuff that they make. Uh, you know, the characters, they go like, hey, right. Hey. And like, it's, you kind of get what they're saying. Um, I think there's like a giant frog character at the beginning of the game who might actually talk now that I think back on it. Um, but even, even then, it's so atmospheric. The world is so alive with everything and especially how varied all of the different locations are in the game and the different boss battles. Um, I just, I actually kind of want to go back and play it now that I'm thinking about it uh, just because it's so much fun, but yeah, it, it is Metroidvania esque. 
So you will be going through areas in the game and, and see something that you'll have to come back to. Um, but once I finished it and unlocked all of the abilities, uh, I spent a couple more hours and, and got 100% completion in it just because I wanted to see all of those things that I missed. And the, one other thing that I really like about Ori and the Will of the Wisps is that the puzzles themselves aren't too challenging where you'll have to go and look it up on, on YouTube or something like that. And for me, I like to stay within the game and be immersed and just give it a fair shot before I, I give up. Uh, but I think f for my intelligence anyway, uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps really finds a good balance for making the puzzles not so clear that you can get them on the first go, but you kind of wait around maybe five minutes, 10 minutes at the most, and then you have that like, ah, I get it, and go ahead and, and get that collectible. So I, I really like that aspect of it as well. Yeah, I, I love that you gave shout outs to the alt tabbing to YouTube phenomenon of playing games in the modern era, because <laughs> uh, you're right, it does kind of draw you out. And I do like it when a game kind of doesn't mean that you have to kind of get really frustrated and reach that point where you have to kind of YouTube something. I did find one thing about Ori um, that I really enjoyed it and wasn't expecting to because I normally hate this sort of stuff in games, but the time trial elements that you could kind of stumble mm. across in this game where... Um, you'd have to kind of run from one area of a location to another as fast as you could, um, usually using new abilities that you'd unlocked that were all movement-based as well. And I can't believe how much I got into that element in this game. Like, the movement and the feeling of flow and the rhythm of, like, being able to traverse the environments in this game is so intoxicating that you can almost see yourself wanting to become a speedrunner because of how great Ori moves. It's all the kind of jumping off enemy projectiles, flicking yourself left and right, um, that kind of weird sand uh, tornado ability that you get that lets you kind of drill under the ground and like burst out and like zoom through areas later on in the game as well. It's um, movement in this game is just such a real wonder. It, it controls so fluidly. It's it's really nice. Yeah, that's that's a really perfect explanation of the gameplay, Adam, just because uh, we talk a lot about flow state and that sort of thing. And I think Ori, once you get into it a couple of times, especially with those time trials, uh, usually, you know, you, you learn from, from failing and the game's not too punishing on, on you where you 100% feel like it's your fault and not something that the game is doing necessarily. Like you'll see it and, oh, I have to double jump in this section and then dash forward or something. And you make all these little mental notes to yourself and you can integrate that into the combat, which is something I really enjoy just because going back to what I was saying earlier with that agility, being able to jump, dash, shoot at the right time. And you, you feel like a total badass. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, it just works really well. Like, shout-outs to a Metroidvania that's going to have all of that intense, speedy platforming, but also just go, you know what? We're giving you checkpoint saves. Um, mm. If you die here, you're just going to come back three seconds beforehand and can try all these dramatic jumps again. It's a bit of a nice change of pace from the Hollow Knight style of, like, here you go, have a Super Meat Boy level, but if you die at any point, you've got to redo the last 10 minutes. I really like that and appreciate that. Mm, checkpoints are great. I think during some of the bosses too, they have uh, checkpoints at certain intervals of health that you uh, you take away. So uh, yeah, that that really helps as well. So that is Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Daniel's pick uh, for 2020, uh, available on quite a few different things actually. I think it's available on uh, Xbox uh, in multiple different varieties. You can play it on PC. Uh, I think also available on Nintendo Switch as well. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Mitch. Yes. Fiona. 
<laughs> Fiona and I picked the same game, which oh, is yes. moving out. Fun game. And what is this game? If people haven't watched any of our series because we played a few of them on our stream, uh, what is moving out and why did you pick it? First of all, if you haven't seen the series, why not? Um, but secondly, <laughs> the series... Okay, so basically moving out is a physics-based moving simulator where you play as moving specialists and your job is to move furniture out of various buildings and houses and and parking lots and spaceships and breaking lots of things in the process with, all with the fun no, stuff with no regard at all for what state the <laughs> furniture needs to be in when it gets there and it's a it, it's definitely a, it harkens back to very couch multiplayer heavy game um, definitely the experience is enhanced tenfold by having a friend with you and multiple friends. Um, it is such an amazing time. Um, we had endless fun in it and uh, definitely not only on stream, but off stream. Um, it definitely brought friends closer together, but it also, I think, is capable of ripping friends apart. Which oh, is also the, definitely. Which is also the, which is also the, uh, which is also the uh, mark of a good couch co-op game, I think. <laughs> Because yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of um, couch co-ops. Like I grew up playing Mario Party, Diddy Kong Racing, and a few other things on the Nintendo 64. So this was a lot of fun, especially because, like you were saying, it you have a group of friends trying to work together, trying being the key words at some time because you have the option to slap people. But then throughout like the game, you're trying to figure out how to move things. So you kind of like learn after a while, like oh. This needs two people. This needs one person. The cat tunnel is an absolute pain, as you <laughs> discovered, Mitch. I hate <laughs> the cat tunnel. If I saw a cat tunnel in real life the other day, and I was like, I hate you. I, <laughs> I, you're a real thing, and in no way you have a, you don't have any bearing on my life now. But I hate you. And, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, it was I appreciate. I appreciate your hate of the cat tunnel, but surely the real hatred in this game goes to weirdly placed swimming pools <laughs> yep. in homes. Like, why mm, yeah. is the pool there? Mm-hmm. It's there to ruin my life as I try to move this table. Just throw it over the pool, which we did many times. This was uh, actually my my runner-up of Game of the Year. Um, and one thing that I really love about this game is the chaotic energy that they managed to capture uh, with moving out because... It's very slapstick. You know, if you want to mention that you can slap people, you can slap ghosts. I think one time I had to slap a ghost like a hundred times while you guys were moving <laughs> a bunch of stuff to the truck. Dedicated um, ghost slapper. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of pretty much a key success of this game, uh, being able to pull it off as well as it did, is just the physics involved because you, you'll be moving a couch. And I think we've all been there trying to move a couch or a fridge through a door. And it's just impossible. It's really tough. And I would be really surprised to see if people manage to play this game online. I know it's couch co-op, but Ooh. you really do need to speak to people and communicate. Uh, one person might be going one way, one person might be going the other. And uh, yeah, maybe the real moving out was the friends we made along the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the friends we lost along the way. <laughs> it, what, uh, what I also- that being, about moving out in the, just real quick, it is possible to play it online, but you do need to use mm-hmm. the various screen sharing uh, techniques on the PS5. I'm not sure about Xbox, but you can do it on, so not PS5, uh, on the PS4, you can definitely do it. Um, and uh, I believe the Steam tools are quite comprehensive as well. And w- what I also really like about the game is that it's not 
too difficult to do it by yourself. Like it's a couch car, but you can also complete it because the levels do scale differently and give you more time if you have just you or less time, there's multiple people. And even though it's like the same idea every level, you have different maps, like the ones where you're sliding through oil, you're trying not to get burned by guava and a few other things. <laughs> so it, I like how it yeah. mixes it up and still keeps it fresh, even though it's the same idea every time. It's guava. Guava. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a narrative, which is uh, pretty Yes, amazing. there is. Yeah, yeah. No, no spoilers, but uh, yeah, there is totally a narrative, so you can enjoy that too. I have a question for, for both of you. What was the thing that surprised you the most about the game? Ooh. As far as like mechanics, levels, maybe the arcade section of the game, anything that, that surprised you? I did really like the arcade section. Like I, because the game is quite filled with all the levels of moving things, I wasn't really expecting an arcade where it challenge you, challenges you even further. So that was really fun. Also really hectic half the time when people are trying to move a couch. Did you feel like the arcade made you better at the at the actual game once you finished no. it? No. No. I think maybe it was the best, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, I was surprised about how much the physics actually mattered. Mm. Because yeah. um, looking at gameplay of it, it doesn't feel like it matters, but like it, like when you're trying to pack a truck full of stuff, Absolutely, it matters. Oh my yeah. god, that like that <laughs> moment where you're like, okay, just throw the fridge in, and the fridge goes <laughs> into the truck and out fall four pieces of very yeah, yeah. delicate oh, things yeah. <laughs> to shatter onto the ground and ruin your dreams, and that's when you and your partner break up. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I won't lie with you. I played this co-op with my boyfriend, and we got to a point where we were both trying to coordinate the swinging of a really heavy piece of furniture on into the moving oh, no. van, and uh, it went backwards. Yeah, and that was the moment where I realized this was not a game that we could play together. Um, mm. The fabric of our relationship was being thrown into question. And it felt like actually moving house. So shout outs to <laughs> mm. this game for capturing mm. the despair <laughs> and sadness that I feel whenever I have to pack up my life and actually go somewhere with other people and move everything I own. Um, well, mission one, accomplished. One final thing from, from me just on, on moving out. Uh, another thing that I appreciate is the scalability of difficulty as well, because you can go into the settings through the, uh, I think it's the have fun mode or something. I might, I might be getting that wrong, but you can add things like extended timer, uh, the two person items, you can use one person to pick it up. And I think that way you can really cater to a lot of different gameplay styles because, you know, uh, my mom, for example, if she played it, she would have a, a hard time with a lot of the mechanics. And so you can tweak that where you guys can all play it and, and still have a good time. And I have to say as well, I must admit, playing, I play the game with some of my, my siblings. And then one of my sisters happened to move out and we did use some of the skills that we learned in moving out to get that L-shaped cabinet into the house. There was a, there was a moment in uh, one of the uh, arcades there where we got the couch that was, we're doing three-player mode. And mm. we got the couch to the end of it and the last person was running to the truck with the box. And you could see... My other friend, who had already made it to the area, we were just hanging out of the truck. You could see him walk up to the edge and just, I, he denies he said this, but I swear he said, long live the king. And then, and then slapped the box out of, 
out of my other friend's hand and it just tumbled <laughs> into oblivion and we failed and oh, we have to do it all no. again. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was, uh, it was, Amazing. the friendship was tested that night. <laughs> That's some strong cancelling the, uh, the countdown timer on Halo just one second before it's about to load into a oh, game yeah. energy and I love mm. it. Yeah. Uh, so that is moving out, uh, Oh, a good split, I reckon. We had a, a, an Australian-made game in Moving Out, Australian uh, New Zealand-made uh, game in Umurangi Generation. Uh, we had Ori and the Will and the Wisps, and we had Hades. Uh, so those are our picks uh, for 2020's year in games. Uh, there are heaps more that we have played and enjoyed throughout the year, uh, but they're the ones that I think that if you are down the track looking for something interesting to play that's going to stand this test of time, that's one to check out. So we do mainstream uh, every fortnight where we talk about some of the games that we've played on uh, each week uh, where a couple of the team will come together and ex- tell us about their experiences. So if you enjoyed this, uh, there is plenty more for you to enjoy uh, into 2021 or you can head back into our back catalogue as well. Uh, also keep an eye out for uh, games of the generation because we have just moved into a brand new console generation, uh, which means there'll be brand new you know, genre-pushing, technology-pushing games to play, um, but we'll see some of the ones that we think were the best uh, that came out uh, in the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One era. So keep an eye on that in the feed if you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Adam, Daniel, Mitch, and Fiona, thank you so much for being part of Mainstream Episode 20. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Was that you doing a Fall Guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Game of the Year is actually Fall Guy, yeah, everyone. We've changed I mentioned the a Fall Guys for Game of the Year from this show, but, you know, it'll be on the other 50 podcasts that you It's do. because the game crashed on me when I was about to grab the crown that That's one true. time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never playing it again. It crashed on me as well. Dishonorable mention, Fall Guys. Um, so that's, that's Mainstream. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, have fun. Bye. Bye.